Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, October the 7th in 2020 on When I Rise. We're currently in year A, proper week 23, which is the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. And this October the 7th is my younger brother Steve's birthday. Happy birthday, Steve. Hope that you have a great day today. We are going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. So I'll read that passage to provide a couple points of reflection. Then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that emerges this morning. So thanks for making this part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and be God together in a time of prayer. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord God Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. And that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest upon this mountain, but Moab will be trampled in their land. A straw, as, as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will stretch out their hands in it as swimmers stretch out their hands to swim. God will bring down their pride despite their cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring them down to the ground, to the very dust. This is the word of God for us. At the forefront of the minds of the Old Testament community are three questions. Who is this one creator God? What does it mean for us to be his people? And then how is he going to fix the world that he loves? And, it, and through us. Uh, those are the things that preoccupy late night conversations around campfires in this time. And so uh, oftentimes you can imagine when empires rise up around the nation of Israel, they have a couple of conclusions. Number one. Has this been something that God has sent to punish us? Or has this, has this empire been sent for God to test us, used for God to test us? And so there are times in which they would see the destruction that comes upon them as simply a repayment for the things that they've done against God. And there are other times where they felt more bold, where they said, no, we have been faithful and God will restore us. And then God is going to turn and judge those who harm us around us. And so what you have in Isaiah is... Perhaps a, a telling number two out of those two options. Uh, there's basically two cities. There's the city of Jerusalem that lied in ruins. 
And then you have a, a tale of another city. It's unnamed in this passage, but it's been the epicenter of maybe some harm that has come against Israel. So in verse 10, they name it as Moab. The Moab-Israel rivalry is as old as Jacob and Esau. So there's this lived-in resentment, perhaps, that exists between the people of Moab and the people of Israel. And so on this occasion, the prophet does a couple of things. Number one, he prophesies that even though destruction and hardship has come towards the nation of Israel, that God is going to restore it. That just like a sheet, it's going to be, something's going to be torn away. All of their ruin and all of uh, the destruction is going to be torn away. And then there's going to be like a, a renewal of things. And God's going to wipe away tears from eyes. What a vivid imagery here. But then you see that there's going to be a, this town in Moab is going to be an example. Uh, God's going to bring destruction or allow destruction against them. And then it's going to cause other ruthless nations and other dominant cities to revere God. Now, does it, it's not clear that they're going to worship God. They're just going to say, okay, if this is what's happened to someone who attacked Israel, we need to check ourselves and not uh, to bring this type of destruction upon ourselves for harming a nation that seems to be protected by its God. And so what do we say here? I mean, we're modern day believers. Uh, we're not in the uh, you know 5th and 6th and 7th century BC in Palestine. Um, what do we say about this? Uh, there, there is an essence uh, where we can overdo it, particularly, imagine it with me, in a four year cycle of presidential elections where this faith group is saying faithfulness looks like this, but then someone from the other side of the spectrum is saying, no, faithfulness looks like this, and electing this political platform and these candidates. And there seems to be like this heightened uh, competition to try to push our leader into the center of the ring and to dub them as God's faithful one. Uh, But here's something that's behind all of this is there was no certainty in the the people of Israel. I mean, their cities would rise and fall. Now, they did say at the end of all things, God would restore them and God uh, would protect them in the very end. And there is no certainty for those who seem powerful from the outside who didn't revere God. Uh, One of the complaints that comes up again and again from Old Testament prophets is, God, how can we prove that you are our God and that you are holy and good when it seems like all the the wicked nations are prospering while we're being so you know, ransacked and challenged and raided. Like, how can we prove? What is the proof in the natural realm of things that you're good to us and that you're a powerful God and that you fulfill your promises? How can we prove that is the case? And so this is where the faithful ones walk by faith, right? Uh, those who call upon the name of the Lord, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, that's not saying give uh, a complete blind eye uh, towards anything in the natural. No, it's just... The things in the natural are just basically a figment. They're just a shadow of the things that could be happening in the background. Uh, to be to be true, Jesus uh, put on flesh. God put on flesh and he dwelt among us. And so what happens in this world is important. And at the same time, what the resurrection of Jesus tells us is that God is in charge. He is in the control room. And if we know anything about this God, is that this God is patient. So if we were to take a litmus test day after day, there could be discouragement waiting for us because it doesn't seem like day to day if we try to look and see whether if God's in charge or not. We're going to find things that show that he is and this is going to, we're going to find some things that show that he's not. And so how do we endure to the end? We endure to the end by continuing to walk by faith. Uh, think of it this way. A marathon runner, a person who run a marathon for the first time, 
they go to the you know they go to the internet and they download a marathon training plan and on paper it doesn't seem so bad but then you start going week by week run after run workout after workout and you think to yourself how am i going to <laughs> how am i going to endure until the end and there's a decision that they have to make there either i trust the plan either i trust the long game or i, I call it quits now and so what we find in the resurrection of Christ is that continue to listen to the echo of God's faithfulness in the world around us. Some days it's louder than others, but as we walk by faith and not by sight, we find ourselves as those who endure to the end. So I'm just going to pray for us that we endure to the end and that we're not so rattled by headline after headline that we find every single morning in a time like this. So we'll spend some time praying along that theme this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you this day because we believe that you're in the control rooms of all that is created. And because of that truth, we do not have to be shaken, that we can strengthen our weak arms and our feeble knees, that as we look at headline after headline, as we are pushed to and fro by the latest news that's being rolled out, we can get weary. And God, we confess that we have become weary and we've taken our eyes off you. We put our eyes on other things, on lesser loves, on uh, different sources of salvation instead of you, the only true God, the one who gives us the true salvation that brings life. And so God, this day, um, maybe we're being tested. Um, maybe we're being challenged at this moment by all that's going on. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to endure to the end. I thank you that God, you promised that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And God, we need to cling to that promise today. And so God, I pray for any of us who are weary this morning, any of us who feel like we've had enough and we'd like to tune out of the world instead of continuing to press on. So God, we hear the words of your faithful servant, the Apostle Paul, when he said that he forgets what is behind and he strains towards what is ahead. And so God, we feel that a straining towards what is ahead. So God, I pray that each of us in our own faith would take a step forward towards a more idealized way of life of continuing to follow Jesus. And God, for the church collective, God, we're divided, um, we're saddened, uh, we're grieving, we are div- uh, we are angry at one another. Petty things separate us. So God, forgive us. Uh, we repent. And we pray that we might be the fulfillment of Jesus' prayer, that we'd be one. So God, we pray that you unify the church, that we would find a way to be in peace with one another, at peace with one another, and so that we might be able to adorn your gospel with goodness by showing to the world that even though we might have differences, we are not divided and not bitterly divided. And so God, this day, I pray that you would raise up the church just like you raised Jesus from the grave. God, I pray that you'd raise the church. May we be compassionate and kind in our witness. May we have power and authority as we preach and as we work. And I pray that many many dead things all around us would come to life and that people would see evidences of the resurrection of the Son of God and that you'd wipe away tears from eyes and that you'd restore because you're the only true God who can do such things. So God, astound us. Give us wonder at the things that you're doing in the world around us and help us to trust in you. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.